Welcome, everyone. I'm Dr. Justin Arner from the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Brett Owens, Professor of Orthopedic Surgery at Brown University, as well as one of his distinguished medical students, Alex Albright. Alex was the first author, and Dr. Owens was a senior author of the paper titled, A Diagnosis of Vitamin D Deficiency as Associated with Increased Rates of Anterior Cruciate Ligament Tears and Reconstruction Failure, which was published in the April 2023 edition of the Arthroscopy Journal. Welcome, Alex and Dr. Owens, and thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thanks for doing this, Justin. Really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting topic and something that's so easily modifiable, such as vitamin D is really low-hanging fruit. And I really wanted to ask you, Dr. Owens, how did you come up with this research question and the study design for this paper? Yeah, well, we really appreciate the opportunity to be here. You know, as as you know, uh, in both your office and mine as well, you know, ACL injuries are very common you know, and have a huge uh, uh, burden on the individual patients as well as in society in general. Um, it's really difficult, the injury itself and then the subsequent surgery and the whole recovery process. It really makes any ACL prevention uh, a possibility of real extreme importance in our practice. And, you know, there are several risk factors for ACL injury. We know it's multifactorial, um, uh, but a lot of these things are non-modifiable. And we're, again, we're always kind of hungry for any sort of potential modifiable risk factor for these injuries that we could target. And the birth of this study came from where it usually does for me, at least, is, is reading the work of others. Um, you know, I read a study in 2021 in Sports Health, uh, I think out of HSS, uh, Joe Hannafin, Marcy Goolsby. They had around 100 patients, uh, all women, age 16 to 40, uh, who came to their offices seeking treatment for a low extremity injury. Um, they tested all of the patients for vitamin D levels and found vitamin D deficiency in a majority of these patients, not just the overuse injuries like the stress fractures, but also in acute injuries, including ligament tears. This included ACL injuries. Uh, and this kind of got us thinking about ways that we could study this. We realized you know, pretty quickly we could do this with all of our patients, but still may not have a high enough number uh, to be able to do it in a, in a reasonable time frame. And that's what made us think about you know, how we could uh, look at this potentially with, uh, with the database uh, study. Yeah, it's a perfect uh, perfect uh, opportunity to use something like Pearl Diver because how could you possibly get this many patients? It's a, a great uh, great idea to have that uh, for this type of uh, study. You know, sometimes we wonder these uh, big database studies, how useful are there? But this is a, a perfect opportunity for that. Yeah, we agree. And yeah, and, and I, I'm similarly critical sometimes. It all depends on really what's the question, you know, and, and this is one where we seem to have, you know, a, a really the right question to be able to look at with a large number of patients. Right, for sure. You know, another question I wanted to follow up with that, Dr. Owens, we've had uh, on the podcast before some of the folks from HSS and talking about, you know, testing vitamin D for rotator cuff tear specifically. And you mentioned it, and you have a really nice summary in your your paper about vitamin D and its research specific in orthopedics. Can you talk to us a little bit more about your summary uh, and your thoughts of that paper with vitamin D deficiency in orthopedics and how you think it over? Sure. So vitamin D deficiency, unfortunately, is extremely common worldwide. It affects nearly a billion people across the world. Um, and there's a lot of literature that's associated low vitamin D levels with poor musculoskeletal health. Um, you know, we hypothesize looking specifically at vitamin D with ACL tears uh, and rates of reconstruction, et cetera. Uh, but you know, majority of what we know about vitamin D, it, it comes in the world of bone health, uh, where we know it has a huge impact, and not just in the extremes of a situation of like osteomalacia, uh, uh, but also subclinical deficiency has an impact on bone stock as well as healing. 
on top of the bone, literally, uh, um, vitamin D impacts muscle and other soft tissues. Um, there's been reports of low vitamin D levels in professional athletes, and this has impacted muscular injury. Uh, many have described the correlation, as you mentioned, between vitamin D deficiency and uh, rates of revision surgery uh, following arthroscopic cuff repair and other associations between uh, higher vitamin D serum concentration and strength recovery following a muscular injury. There are also studies that have shown vitamin D supplementation in deficient patients can decrease levels of uh, circulating levels of MMP9, which is a contributor to connective tissue degradation uh, and somewhat uh, disordered remodeling. So, you know, the, the link is is definitely there throughout the musculoskeletal system, and we wanted to look specifically uh, at ACL injuries. Yeah, that's really interesting. And switching to you, Alex, I mentioned the Pearl Diver. Um, tell us a little bit of how you use the Pearl Diver. And I, I know you screened 22 and a half million people with vitamin D deficiency and a random sample of 2 million people. So it's a really a, a great study, I think, for a population-based uh, study like this with a big database. Tell us a little bit about your methods and how that worked, Alex. So over of the about 150 million patients within the, the Pearl Diver database itself, we ended up finding about 22 and a half million of them, like you said, that had a diagnosis of vitamin D deficiency at some point between January of 2011 and October of 2020. We then took a random sample of 2 million patients from that larger vitamin D deficient cohort, and we filtered this down to isolate folks uh, between the ages of 10 and 59 that were active within the data set for at least two years after their diagnosis, meaning they hadn't changed providers or insurance companies, that they were still tracked within the data set. So we could more accurately track these folks and their diagnoses. After excluding patients with possible confounding conditions that may influence their vitamin D levels, we matched the remaining cohort to a randomly generated control cohort of patients that did not have a, a diagnosis of vitamin D deficiency. We matched on age, sex, Charleston comorbidity index, and various other medical comorbidities, finally creating two matched cohorts of just over 328,000 patients. What this did is it allowed us to follow these patients over that, that two-year period and calculate newly diagnosed ACL tears, and then rates of primary ACL reconstructions in these patients. Secondly, we also wanted to analyze the rate of revision ACL reconstruction. And in order to maximize our power for this analysis, we queried the, the Pearl Diver data set a second time for all patients who underwent a primary ACL, ACLR and applied the same inclusion criteria and exclusion criteria that we had previously described then divided those patients by those who were diagnosed with vitamin D deficiency within the year prior to their, to their surgery, and then obviously those that had never had a diagnosis of vitamin D deficiency. And similarly, what this allowed us to do is then follow this cohort of patients over a two-year period. Then we were able to calculate the rate of revision, uh, ACL reconstructions in these patients as well. Yeah, awesome summary. And as Dr. Owens told us before, we're, we're uh, impressed with your, your work here. I know you're doing a way rotation for residency interviews now and, and everything. So uh, awesome work. And we're looking forward from, for more of this great work for you to come. Uh, Alex, tell us a little bit about um, your results and what you found exactly, associations with vitamin D and ACL, et cetera. Uh, and thank you for the kind words as well. It's been a blast to be here. And I'm glad you're having us on. Uh, but regarding the results, just looking at the raw data that we had found, we found the, the incidence rate of newly diagnosed ACL tears among the vitamin D deficient cohort was 115.2 per 100,000 person years. And when you compare this to the control, they were just at 61 per 100,000 person years. 
But then we adjusted for various medical comorbidities to get a further analysis of this. And we found the vitamin D deficient cohort had an increased likelihood of suffering an ACL tear at both the one and two year time period with adjusted odds ratios of 1.67 for the one year and 1.81 for the two year. Of note, this association was greatest among both male and female patients aged 51, or sorry, aged 41 to 59. In our second analysis, we found there is no difference in the rates of revision ACL reconstructions at the one-year mark, but at the two-year mark, the vitamin D deficient patients were significantly more likely to undergo a revision ACL reconstruction with an odds ratio of 1.28. I mean, a very nice summary. It's it's uh, great work, and it's interesting how you, you follow those patients, like you mentioned, the second time. And back to you, Dr. Owens. Um, tell us why you made postulate that vitamin D deficiency may influence ACL tearing and re-tearing. You have a really nice discussion in your manuscript and outline a few of the possibilities, hoping you could share that with us. Sure. As we previously mentioned, you know, ACL injury is multifactorial and we think the relationship may also be multifactorial. You know, the relationship between poor knee uh, mechanics uh, during dynamic movements and activities has been really well documented in, in, in our uh, our society and journals have really done a great job of, of looking at this as it relates to maintaining proper knee mechanics during these movements, as well as uh, strength. Um, you know, the strength that comes, especially from muscle type two muscle fibers, have been directly influenced by the presence of vitamin D, um, as we mentioned earlier, uh, and serves to facilitate muscle growth, differentiation, contraction by stimulating the expression of certain growth factors. And the vitamin D deficient patient with a diminished signal pathway, uh, we can see evidence of type 2 muscle atrophy and weakness, and they may be at risk for a rupture from uh, a strength issue or from mechanical control. But as well, vitamin D has been shown to impact the local synovial environment as well with a, where the ACL lives in. And vitamin D is shown to have, uh, sorry, vitamin D deficient joints have been shown to display increase in inflammatory cytokines and and MMPs, which have been shown to degrade soft tissues in, in, in cartilage and may have the, the knee set up for uh, ACL injury. Now, there's no clear uh, uh, prospective you know, data showing uh, specific vitamin D levels and long-term ACL injury risk, but we hypothesized uh, based upon that earlier work elsewhere that we may see a relationship between vitamin D uh, and ACL injury. Now, our lab has been looking at vitamin D on a cellular level, and we've seen and the direct impact on both collagen production uh, and in MMP expression. And hopefully we'll have some more data to come uh, looking in a prospective fashion. Yeah, that's awesome. Always look forward to your basic science studies that you uh, pump out. So that's exciting stuff. You know, you mentioned before there's some good data about rotator cuff healing, uh, Dr. Owens. And I just was curious, has this practice or your management of vitamin D change at all? You know, are you testing ACL patients or rotator cuff patients or just uh, asking them to supplement, you know, in Pittsburgh? Um, and I just had a guy that had a traumatic rotator cuff tear and tested his vitamin D's in his 40s and has really low level. We don't have much sunshine here. So I was curious, has this has this changed your practice at all? And similarly, you know, I'm in the Northeast like you, and we definitely, you know, see it. That's where a lot of the early data on, on hip fracture uh, came by looking at different regions. Um, I, I I certainly discuss it. Uh, I'm beginning to discuss it in, in all my patients, and not just in stress fracture patients. Uh, I'm not testing routinely yet uh, outside of a study. We you know we're used to talking about vitamin D when it comes to stress fracture scenario, right? 
But I think maybe if we consider you know, an ACL tear, we think about it similarly to a, a stress fracture type injury, it may help a little bit in how we're thinking about uh, particularly the loads across it as well as uh, as, as diet. Um, you know, if there's any single take-home message of this paper on study of ACL injury, it's it's you know we've done a great job scientifically looking at the mechanics of ACL injury, but maybe a little bit less looking at the biology. And we need to remember that the ACL is you know, we're doing a great job of of pulling it on on Instron and determining you know what the mechanical strength is. But I think we sometimes forget that you know this ACL is comprised of living cells. It's constantly responding to the stresses placed upon it, um, and then recovering by creating new matrix using the building blocks that we provide for it. You know, and those come from our diet. Uh, when we think about it this way, it incorporates both the impact of load management as well as in diet. You know, I probably spend a little bit more time talking about load and recovery in my young athletes uh, than I do nutrition. But you know, usually when asked about nutrition and bring it up, when we talk about really a balanced diet is usually what I recommend. But um, you know, vitamin supplementation, I usually say won't hurt. Um, we don't have clear evidence that it will help, but, you know, evidence is starting to emerge. Uh, and I usually do recommend, you know, vitamin supplementation, particularly vitamin D. Yeah, that's a, that's a great uh, segue to some other questions I had. You know, like you alluded to, we were so focused on tunnel placement and uh, surgical mechanical repair of rotator cuffs. But a lot of these other uh, factors like uh, A1C or... Um, you know, sleep in these young patients instead of playing video games is probably maybe uh, more beneficial. So I know it's a little bit off topic, but I wanted to talk to you a little bit about how you decrease re-injury with ACLs. Uh, you know, do you do return to sport testing and timing to return to sport? What's your thoughts of that? And are you counseling patients about, you know, the psychological aspect? And just was curious about your uh, thoughts on those other kind of less sexy uh, topics. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's a great, it's a great question, Justin. I think, you know, my practice similar to yours is we spend a lot of time to focus on, uh, on the mechanical aspects, the technical aspects of surgery. I think, uh, you know, especially, uh, one thing I enjoy is, is the longitudinal relationship that we get really by most with our ACL patients, right? Cause we see them so much. We see them before the injury at a really, at a really low point for them. Uh, and then we're able to see them longitudinally, you know, across you know, up to a year. Sometimes I have some patients that continue to come back. They want their annual checkup, uh, which I always welcome. It's always good to see people that are out you know, doing uh, doing good things. Otherwise, your office is only people that are, you know, come back with problems. But, right. um, yeah, but, you know, I, I think you do get that nice longitudinal relationship. And, and that really makes it uh, very rewarding because you get to know your patients really well. And I think, you know, I, after we get the technical aspects right, we really need to focus a lot of the time on the rehabilitation process, which oftentimes does involve these, 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 we talk about multifactorial uh, issues, but things like the psychology of, of returning kinesophobia. I think I see a lot more kinesophobia in my practice now because I'm able to look for it. I think when I was young and right out of training, I, I never saw it because I never took the time to ask about it. Um, and then, you know, the more you read, the more you learn and you realize it's, it is ubiquitous. Most people have some element of it. And I think like, like most anxieties, just bring it up and having a conversation about it. Um, it can be very helpful and relieving for the patient and for their family, just to kind of generate that discussion. Sometimes we, 
incorporate uh, sports psychology. Unfortunately, that's not always uh, uh, reimbursed uh, directly through our healthcare system, but um, uh, or sometimes there's a fair amount of anxiety and we need to get a clinical psychologist on board as well, not just to talk about return to sport. But I think the more we can kind of discuss these uh, other issues, uh, I think it really it, it's, I try to expand my focus outside of just the, the knee proper and what my physical exam is like, but look holistically at the knee as part of that lower extremity, as part of the entire body, and then as part of the entire person. You know, I think return to play is certainly something we've done, we've done a, a good job of studying, but we still don't always have the answer. I, similar to you, have you know, used many uh, criteria to discuss return to play, um, as well as we've seen over time, our, our time frame kind of stretch out from initially everyone was around six months, and, and now many of us are, are bringing it out, you know, closer to nine months. I think one of the other challenging things um, that you and I've talked about before, right, is, is this conversation that we sometimes have to have with the multiply revised patients. You know, I have some people that come to see me you know, as a revision referral surgeon. We get sometimes the worst, the worst. And we get these patients that come in and they're on their, you know, young teenagers that are on their third, fourth ACL surgery. And, you know, sometimes you have to have that discussion uh, about, you know, when is enough enough? And sometimes these are really hard discussions because athletes want to get back to the sport and our job is to get them back um uh and sometimes though it, it takes you know the surgeon to, as the leader of the you know, acl recovery team who's coordinating the care with all the other providers um, it's really important to be the leader and to have that hard discussion sometimes about that maybe uh, i have some patients i say i want you to be able to return to whatever it is that sports say soccer right or whatever that hard sport is how do you be able to return and to choose not to right to get them to recognize the impact they're having on their future health their knees and uh, maybe have that try to steer them maybe into a sport that is less injurious or or has a lower uh injury risk profile what, what do you think about that yeah, right. That's something that uh, that you definitely taught me and I've tried to incorporate into my practice. It's it's a great point. You know, you want to be the hero and, you know, let this uh, person go back to soccer. But, you know, I've started certainly with with UCLs um, in the elbow. You know, the only person that really needs a UCL is a, a pitcher. Do you really want to go back to Division two or Division three baseball for one more year and undergo the risks of this surgery and having an honest conversation and I did have someone uh, last week or maybe two weeks ago, uh, you know, I was thinking of you too, that had second time shoulder instability. I was meeting her for the first time. It was her senior year at division two soccer and just kind of reading the room. You could tell she almost wanted you to uh, give her an out, which I think is mature of someone. So I think it's, it's hard to read the parents and the family. There's so many, uh, you know, extraneous factors and pressures, but uh, you're right. That's something we don't think about. And I think something really important and talking about the psychology aspect. It's another thing, you know, you taught me too, is it'd be nice if you can just push these people on to sports psychologists, but I guess just recognizing it's the, the key and, and tell us a little bit about how, how you do that. Do you bring it up before surgery or wait until they're about ready to, to return to play or when they're going to start running or give us some kind of examples of how you kind of just bring up the kinesiophobia and, and normalize it a little bit. 
Yeah, I usually I bring it up in every visit now. Uh, when usually when we're discussing return to play considerations, it's hard before that. I've tried a little bit sometimes at, at the three. I usually see him at you know three months, and then usually for return to play stuff, we'll see him again at six, and then again at nine. Um, it's it's harder early on because they're focused on just kind of recovering their their musculature, get their running gait back to normal. Um, as they advance and they're beginning more uh, lateral and cutting activities. Uh, and usually we're incorporating a brace as well. I think it's really helpful to just to have that discussion, um, especially in my, my adolescence where the parents are in the room. I think it's great just to bring it up. Again, we get, if we're lucky and we're, you know, we're not double booked, we're getting 15, 20 minutes with that patient. And um, uh, while we feel like we know them well, we're not seeing them all the time, right? And so that's why bringing it up with the parents there that are, where they're obviously much more comfortable talking to their parents sometimes than with their surgeon. Sometimes, right? Sometimes the, the you know the, the surgeon visit brings out things they haven't really talked about with their par- parents as well. But as well as engaging the therapists with it um, that are there with them all the time. Just having the discussion, I usually just bring it up and say, "Look, you know, the, the concept of kinesophobia is real," and describe what the word means and 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 try to demystify it maybe and make it seem very normal. I bring it up very matter of factly and try to make it make them feel a little bit more comfortable in just expressing some of those feelings that they have because most patients have an element, you know, uh, of fear of re-injury. And I find it most helpful when we're kind of discussing the brace, which you know we don't have great data that a brace works, but a lot of my patients want a brace, and I think it's uh, that's another nice way to to talk about uh, kinesophobia is as you discuss you know, what the, what the literature says about brace use and how you think about uh, the use of a brace, at least for that first season back. Yeah. If stepping back and listening to you talk about that, I think that probably more than we realize builds a good rapport with the patient and the family too, that you really care about more than just the knee and you want, you know, them as a person to have a successful career or outcome or life or whatever. And I think that's probably really a, uh, taking more time on that versus talking about, you know, this or that technical aspect, which someone's not going to remember. I mean, I think that's probably a lot more long lasting and impactful, but it's something we forget. So it's a great point. Uh, wrapping up here, I just wanted to give Alex a, a chance to you know, speak about his experience here with this, uh, this paper and what he learned and thank him for uh, chatting about this and then give you the last word, Dr. Owens. Yeah, it's been phenomenal. It's been a great conversation and I always sit back here and just kind of listen to you guys talk and realize how much there is to learn and excited about what the future holds. And so it's awesome to be a part of. But yeah, for this specifically, I just think this is a kind of what going back to what we talked to in the beginning. It's just a, a good example of trying to find the right question to answer when you're trying to use a large data set like this and then finding a way to to answer that question in a way that hopefully sparks more like bench research and prospective clinical trials uh, that the better research this potentially modifiable risk factor and in, in vitamin D for these folks. And like we've already talked about, we're always hungry to, to find these modifiable risk factors for things like ACL tears and ACL reconstruction recovery and decreasing the rates of needing a revision surgery. Uh, I think there's any space for to finding a new a new potential uh, risk factor that we can decrease. I think there's always excitement in that. And again, I just want to say thanks. It's been an absolute blast being on. Uh, it's been great to listen and learn from you all. And I appreciate the the guidance and mentorship and the 
the community. Yeah, thanks, Alex. You, you, you've done a great job. It's great to ha- have you on. Highlight great work that you've been able to do. And um, I, I uh, don't feel bad about realizing you have a lot to learn. We all have a lot to learn. Just as long as you keep, you know, applying yourself and trying to learn more, uh, the, you know, our community would will be better off. Yeah, great summary, and appreciate both of your uh, time today. And uh, we appreciate you, Dr. Owens. Like Alex alluded to, your discussion of you know this research, the best research, you know, leaves more questions on the table than than answering. You know, so pushing the envelope forward to this basic science research is uh, is awesome. We appreciate that. And like Alex said, any modifiable risk factors. And we we both appreciate your mentorship. And uh, again, thanks for your time tonight. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Alex Albright and Dr. Brett Owens' article titled, A Diagnosis of Vitamin D Deficiency is Associated with Increased Rates of Anterior Cruciate Ligament Tears and Reconstruction Failure is available in the April 2023 issue of the Arthroscopy Journal and is available online at arthroscopyjournal.org. Thanks so much for joining us. This concludes this edition of the Arthroscopy Journal podcast. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next time.